Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGraw. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. All right, I'd like you to uh, take your Bibles or take a look at the screen, and uh, we're going to begin with a passage of Scripture in Matthew 11. And then we'll work our way over to James. We're going to finish James next week. And, uh, but I, I want to have us start with Matthew 11 to kind of set the stage for this passage. So, um, familiar passage of Scripture. It's when Jesus is with the disciples. Uh, they've been having this encounter with uh, some of the kids around them and Jesus is talking to them about making sure that they're not pushing the children away and all of that. And so in Matthew eleven twenty five to 30, just follow along and I want to make some comments about this before we get to James. At, the time, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Which, uh, just, just a comment, it reminds us that we need to keep the heart heart like a little kid that just is excited about little things like for example this morning uh kathy had set up a new some new bulletin boards with some new posters and so on in the kids class and it was really interesting watching the kids they happened to walk in the room and they went oh what's this and most of us might walk by and just go and not notice anything different. But they were just in awe of these posters of the planets and different colors and things to think about. And it was interesting listening to them wonder what they were about. Why are they here? Why, is, why are these posters here today? Why is this new? And uh, I want to remind us this morning as we look at the passage that we're going to look at that it's important for us to continue to have a heart like a child, and our relationship to the Lord. In verse 26, he says, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, before we move into James, just thinking about the weekend that we're on, which is Labor Day weekend, um, anybody tired this morning? A couple nods of the heads. Anybody like just... You would have rather just stayed home and stayed in bed this morning. Anybody? Okay. I mean, you know, let's just be honest. I mean, it's kind of funny. It's Labor Day, you know, so Labor Day weekend. And it's a time for us to reflect and think about, you know, our, our labor and the efforts we put into things. And Jesus gives these words that are very, very important as we look at um, what we're going to see in James this morning. And he says in verse 29 in particular, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
And of course, unless we're farmers, we don't understand that very well, but I think you know the story that the yoke, a yoke of oxen is the picture of two oxen together. And uh, so let me ask you a question. If the picture is that Jesus is in one side of the yoke and we're in the other side of the yoke, how does it stay restful or without pain versus painful and full of conflict? How do we make sure that we don't experience pain if we're yoked with Jesus? We walk in the same direction. And uh, we think about the fact that when we're experiencing difficulty and when we're experiencing pain in our life, the source of rest, the source of comfort, the source of strength in the midst of weariness is to look around and find out where is Jesus? And I need to stay as close to him as I can because if I don't, I'm going to begin to experience a chafing and a pain that makes it difficult for me to want to go on. Now, I want you to think about this with me as well this morning because it'll come up in this passage in James we're going to look at in just a minute. And that is this. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have at least one person in your life that's a real pain? And they've been there for a long time. And you're wondering, I wonder if God will ever deliver me of this person. And what if this person is in your life because Jesus has yoked you to Him in order for you to get some stuff out of your own life? How many of you have ever tried, and don't raise your hand, how many of you ever tried to get someone out of your life that's at real pain and you can't get them out of your life? And maybe the reason you can't get them out of your life, and I'm not talking about you know, abusive situations and stuff like that. I'm talking, I, you know, we need to have boundaries, but I'm talking about situations where it's just someone that is, is annoying. And what if it's someone that God has placed in your life to kind of burn off or break off the stuff, the rough edges that you have in your own life. And so what Jesus is reminding us of is sometimes we think that the problem is, is him or them. But maybe the problem isn't the other person. Maybe the problem is something in our own heart that needs to be burned away. And that the way we find rest in the midst of the, the difficult situation and the difficult relationship, the way we find rest is to draw as close to Jesus as we can in the midst of that difficulty. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the implication is, if it's not easy and it doesn't feel light, where are we at in relationship to Jesus? It probably implies that we have drifted away. Now how far do we have to get before we start experiencing pain? I think the answer to the question is not very far. I mean, this yoke, this yoke that's put on oxen, and if I had prepared better, I would have had a photo of this, but the yoke that's put on the back of oxen, you know, it's tight around them. I better shut this so it doesn't spill water on me. It's, it's tight around them. So if they begin to move away, they quickly experience pain. And so the yoke that's around us to keep us close to Jesus is there intentionally to keep us close as possible. And if we start to drift away, we start experiencing a pain. And so that's what I think 
you know, remembering that James is the brother of Jesus, I think that he's probably got these kinds of stories in his mind when he thinks back and he starts trying to instruct the people that are going through difficulties. So now let's look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That verse, verse 9, is one of those verses I'd like to erase out of my Bible. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's kind of fun to grumble about other people, right? But it says, it doesn't say don't grumble if you are in a good mood. It just says don't grumble, grumble about other people. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, don't swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now look back at verse 7, verse 8, and then in verse 10, and see if you can find the word patient or patience. How many times do you find it? Four different times. Four different times. And the word that's used for patience is not patience like waiting, but it's patience or being patient in the sense of long-suffering. And we want to remember that this is a group of first-generation Christians or maybe some second-generation Christians that are hearing this, this message from James. And what do we know about first- and second-generations about some of their suffering. What was happening to some of them? Persecution. They were sneaking around to meet in danger of getting killed because of meeting together. In fact, some of their brothers and sisters probably had been killed, and they're dealing with the question of how can we stay patient? And so James is writing to them, and many of them still are talking to someone. They've got a friend that maybe even was a witness of Jesus. And they have a friend who knows someone that watched Jesus go up into heaven. And Jesus gave them the promise. And what was his promise? As I go to heaven, I'll do what? I'll come back. And so, just like we would, the question is, when are you coming back? I mean, don't we all think that way? If someone is going to say they're going to come back, we wonder if, uh, if, when it's going to be and how soon it's going to be. And so this message to them is one where when they saw Jesus leave, they, uh, a lot of them were expecting him to return like in a week or a month at, at, at the least, maybe a year. But the delay had switched from years, months and years to decades. And they're waiting and waiting with no return. And it's becoming more and more difficult. And they're not just waiting they're also suffering, really suffering because of the persecution. And so we know that the Bible, like in Romans 5 that I read this morning before our prayer time, is filled with encouragement for those of us who suffer. 
All of us. Whether it's suffering that comes from persecution or some other kind of force or even some of the suffering that happens because we're, the, we're at fault for it. We brought it on ourselves. And the Scripture keeps reminding us to be patient in suffering. And keeps reminding us that God still cares and that He hasn't abandoned us and that He sits with us in our suffering and that, he will come, and that we'll come out stronger than before. And how many of you know that sometimes it's hard to believe all those things in the midst of what we go through? So here's the thing that I think really captures what these verses are about. Staying in God's presence by staying yoked to Jesus as, possibly, as close as we possibly can is what keeps us patient in the midst of our circumstances even if they include suffering. So you can raise your hands on this one. How many of you need more patience in your circumstances? Alright? So if, if what I said is true, the solution or the way to experience more patience, steadfastness, long-suffering in the midst of those circumstances is to stay as close to Jesus, stay as yoked to Jesus as possible. I heard uh, in a message this week that pain gives birth to prayer. And that's what it means to be yoked to Jesus, to say, Jesus, help. Jesus, what am I supposed to do? What's your answer to the questions that I have in this situation? And we know that God's wisdom about suffering in our tomorrows is always a sure thing. And James doesn't do anything to deal with the unfairness of suffering. He acknowledges it's going to happen. But his message is, we know it's going to happen, so here's what we do in the midst of suffering. What does this patience look like? So let's look back, if we can look at the verses again, beginning with verse 7. Because patience is a characteristic of God. It's in our DNA. And in verse 7 it says, Be patient until you see the coming of the Lord. Now, notice the attention is not on the coming of the Lord. The attention is on what's happening to us right now in these circumstances. I mean, I think that you would agree with me that it doesn't really do a lot of good to talk about the coming of the Lord when life right now feels like hell in a handbasket. I mean, sure, we have the blessed hope and we want to focus and we, we hope for that to happen. But sometimes, you know, that's fine. I believe that. I'm glad that's going to happen and I hope it happens any day. But I need help right now. I need whatever that's going to be to happen right now. And so we stay patient by staying obedient in the process. Think about why James is commanding us to be patient. Because every generation of Christians has prayed that Jesus would return. That, that He would come as He promised. And so far, every generation, including ours, including my generation, including the other generations represented in this room, and the other generations that just went back in the other room, we're all still waiting. So what do we do while we wait? We continue to engage the process of staying as close to Jesus as possible as staying, and staying obedient in the process. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 give us the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know what the fourth one is? Take a guess. Patience. Dang. 
I like love, joy, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Well, maybe not self-control. Patience. Can we just, we can't take it out. As a believer, it's in our DNA. It's in our spiritual blood, so to speak. It's part of who we are. In fact, it's something that comes as a matter of humility. It's something we have to humble ourselves to receive. Because if we carry a spirit of pride, we know that God's going to knock us down. That's the promise. And it's interesting in the story of the parable of the sowers, you know that the good soil is described this way. As for the, for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, <clears throat> hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. How are you doing with patience? How are you doing with holding in there until the Lord gives you what He promised? The answer to the question is, if you're answering it correctly, is I'm staying obedient. I'm staying as close as I can to Him. It's hard. It's difficult. But it's easier if I stay close to Him. Good soil is patience, has patience that bears fruit. And in the same way the farmer had to wait for the harvest before the harvest was brought to fruition, we need to trust the process. Remember what it was like when you were a little kid and you planted things for the very first time? You planted the, you put all the seed in the soil and then the next day you're digging up the seeds like, where's the plants? And your mom or your dad says, well, you got to let it grow. So, okay, you wait a week. And then this little thing pops up. So you pull it up to see, where's the carrot? It's like, and it's this little dinky little thing at the bottom, right? Isn't that what we kind of do sometimes in our journey? Is we get impatient, and the Lord's processing this stuff in us, and we keep checking it, you know? When is it going to happen? And we need to trust the process. The second thing is we stay patient by comforting our hearts with truth. Verse 8 says, You also be patient, establish your hearts with truth, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Patience is what establishes our hearts in our trust of God's unfolding plan. Where do we find His unfolding plan? On the screen. I mean, in our Bibles. That's what I meant to say. Since, since most of us use the screen these days. No, I'm just kidding. We, we, we get the truth on our iPhone. As long as we're looking at the Bible app while we're doing it. So, patience is what establishes our hearts in our trust of this unfolding plan. And it was the prophets that saw this through their long acquaintance with God Himself. They were able to see a heavenly dimension of things. And they could see a heavenly perspective and they laid that template over earthly perspective, over earthly circumstances. You realize that if you're hasty and you have an impatient spirit, you really have a spirit of pride. But it's, it's, it's this patience that James is describing that's not passive, but it's a gallant spirit that, that can withstand tides of uh, doubt and sorrow and disaster. And it's a kind of patience that can still hold on it's the kind of patience that a lot of you have had for a long time in different circumstances. 
It's the kind of patience that other people look at your life and go, I, I would have given up a long time ago before you did. I told you last week or mentioned to you a book called Hit Hard about a couple whose son suffered a brain injury and uh, now several years later he's still functioning with significant disability, can't speak, but still carries a tremendous spirit of joy, lights up a room when he walks in the room, with, lights up the room with his smile. And I want you to listen to something his father said about patience and how it helps us deal with suffering. He said, recently I have developed a different perspective on the problem of evil and suffering than the one I used to have. Far from thinking that suffering is, as, is the rock of, of atheism as the unassailable argument against the existence of a loving and powerful God, I have come to believe that the Christian response to evil and suffering may in fact be the one, one of the most compelling arguments for the Christian faith. We know as believers that we are not immune from suffering. Anybody here not suffering? Anybody in here suffering at least a little bit? Raise your hand. Okay? All of us are suffering in some way. But as believers, we have the possibility and the privilege to respond differently to suffering than those around us which is a testimony to the providence and the care of a loving God. We also stay patient to have grace in our relationships. Verse 9, don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, so that you won't be judged. If you've got that person that aggravates you all the time, what does that do in terms of affecting your spirit? Are you... uh, Positive in your conversation or negative in your conversation? Don't we, don't we get most negative when that happens? And what happens when we get weary and we, we're chafing against the yoke and we're pulling against away from Jesus? What do we start doing in our relationships to one another? What? Same thing. We start grumbling at each other. Uh, you know, some of you use the word, especially if you're frustrated with other people and you haven't had much food, what's the word for that? <laughs> Everybody knows the word. <laughs> Everybody knows the word. But the warning by James is pretty amazing because he says, don't grumble so you won't be judged because the judge is standing at the door. So what happens when I'm frustrated with... I'll, I'll pick on, uh, I won't pick on anybody today. What happens when I'm frustrated with whoever it is and I start grumbling? What I'm supposed to do instead is when I'm frustrated with that person that's in my life, whether it's their fault or not, is to say, Lord, where are you? Because right now, this doesn't feel very easy and it doesn't feel very light. And I find the yoke and I get close to him And they say, would you help me get a perspective of that person through your eyes so that I can give them the same grace and mercy that you've given me and you've given them. We stay patient to have grace in our relationships because grumbling is a sure sign that we've gotten out of the yoke. We stay patient by receiving the revelation of God. Verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets 
who spoke in the name of the Lord. There's a couple of characteristics about prophets I want to mention. From the prophets, the ones that were willing to receive the word of God, they were also willing to risk being misunderstood, and they were willing to risk being persecuted by standing for the truth. And so we stay patient, understanding that there have been people that have take the, taken the risk, and maybe they lost their lives for it, but they did what God wanted them to do, and that's the most important thing in life. They were patient in the process. They were willing to receive the word, and they were willing to risk in the process what God may have them do in the middle of it. We stay patient, finally, by abiding in Christ and staying in the yoke. Verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. The word steadfast really means abiding. They abided and they didn't flee. How many times have you been in situations where you're like, Lord, can I just... How many of you have run from situations? And you know what happens when you run away from a circumstance or a trial that the Lord is maybe uh, providentially organizing for you to go through? What happens if you run from it? That one's not a rhetorical question. What happens if you run from it? You get swallowed by a fish. And what, what, was, what was the issue? If we run from a certain circumstance, if we're running from a lesson that the Lord's trying to teach us, do we get to skip any lessons in this spiritual journey? It follows us. You know, I mean, if, if you keep thinking there's a problem here, there's a problem here, and you go to another place, and there's still a problem. Man, there's still a problem here. And you go to another place, and there's still a problem. There's problems everywhere I go. Pretty soon you start figuring it out. Who's got the problem? You're the one with the problem. You're the one that needs to go back and take the lesson that you keep trying to go through that God is helping you to learn patience from. We learn from the prophets because as they endured for us, we learn that we can endure as well. And God wants a people who are not going to bail out just because of some pressure. Because um, here's the thing. Who, James does it. Who's the person in the Bible that everybody thinks of as an example of patience and suffering? Job. How many Jobs are in the room? Because who are we, we're talking about Job. Why are we talking about Job? We're talking about Job because Job demonstrated great patience in the midst of suffering. What if you and I are another person's Job? What if you and I represent a person that 10, 20, 100 years from now they're going to be talking about and they're going to name your name and say, let me tell you, that person was an amazing example of patience in the midst of suffering. I'd rather have that be my legacy than have one say, Doyle DeGraw was one of the most impatient persons I ever met in my life. In fact, if you want to learn anything about patience, the last person you want to look at, any, any, if I ever write my book, don't read his book because it's, it's, it's throughout it, it's bad stuff. 
He may say certain things, but he was the most despised, despicable person when it came to demonstrating patience. Is that the legacy we want? Obviously not. And that's why we talk about Job. It's interesting, and the last thing is we need to stay patient, recognizing that staying patient is a lifetime commitment. I think that's why James says, but above all, brothers, don't swear, either by heaven or earth, but let your yes be yes and no be no. We shouldn't be fickle in our commitment. We shouldn't say, okay, under these conditions, I will be patient. If you'll remove this person and this person from my life, then I'll be patient. And the Lord says, no, I put those persons in your life on purpose. So are you going to or not? Well, no, are you going to or not? Yes or no? And that's the question. You know, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion. And receiving the elements is always a statement that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's not, I have decided under these conditions to follow Jesus. It's, I have decided. Our words must not be conditional. We need to demonstrate by our actions unconditional love and respect for one another that's born by the Holy Spirit with the spirit of patience. The big picture of all of this is staying in God's presence by staying yoked to Jesus is what gives us patience in the midst of our circumstances, even when they include suffering. And so... I want to remind you and take you back to the passage I read at the beginning, Matthew 11. We could look at that again, just the last three verses. As we get ready to prepare our hearts to receive communion. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we get ready to receive communion, I'll give some instructions here in just a minute. I want to remind us of some things with another quote from the Father that I quoted from earlier, that I think really, for me, prepares my heart for communion, and I'm hoping it will do it for you too. He says, God, it gives my heart great consolation to know right now that we are kneeling before a crucified God. You are not a God who cannot sympathize with our experiences of pain, death, and suffering. How many of you this morning are in some level of pain? Please raise your hand. How many of you are in some level of pain? And how many of you in this last year have experienced some level of death 
death of a loved one, someone that is close to you. And I think this one applies to all of us. How many of you are experiencing suffering, and I mean suffering that would be physical, it could be suffering that's um, spiritual, it could be suffering because things aren't working out like you hoped they would, it can be suffering because you have a son or a daughter that is suffering because they won't respond to God's grace and mercy in their life, any of those kinds of things. I think, did I cover enough? (laughs) So how many of you are experiencing that kind of suffering? Raise your hand. Please raise your hand. He says, you are not a God who cannot sympathize with our experiences of pain, death, and suffering. You are the God who came into this world, who suffered and who died in order to save us forever from a world that is filled with evil and suffering. And so as we get ready for communion, the prayer of our hearts is that God Okay, I get it. I surrender. But I need this suffering to be easier. I need the load to be lighter. And so we come to the table to receive a means of grace. We come to receive His grace. And so we come with hearts that are surrendered that grace comes to us by the Father through Jesus Christ, which is what the bread and the cup represent. The bread representing his broken body and the wine representing his shed blood. And we come surrendered to the fact that if it isn't for his body and blood, then what we suffer through is, has no purpose. But it's this, the means of grace, that gives purpose out of all of this stuff we have to go through. It's when we get to have those times where we get little glimpses of hope that everything is going to be okay. And so we celebrate his death, and as we sang, as we sang living hope this morning, we celebrate his resurrection. I appreciate the fact that Hannah went back and had to sing that last verse again. Because it's really what it's about. We don't just bow at his death, but we stand with hope of his resurrection. And it's the taking of his bread and wine together as Jesus instructed us. I trust that all of us have our hearts in the right place this morning as we receive communion. But before we get ready to come, I want us to pray. I want us to take a look at our hearts and make sure that if there's anything that's in the way, whether it's the very first time we need to dedicate our lives to Jesus or whether it's the 459th time, we have to say, Lord, I dedicate myself to you again. So let's bow our heads. And Lord, we just want to confess, and we thank you that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and all unrighteousness. So this morning, not only do we receive that prayer in faith, but we're going to receive that prayer in in a piece of bread, a cracker, in a cup of juice. And we pray that in these moments that we receive the bread in a cup, that you would wash away, wash away hopelessness,
and despair and help us once again have the easy load and the light burden that comes because we're yoked close to Jesus. I ask in your name. Amen. Now, Father, we ask you that you would help us this morning as we once again have afforded ourselves the opportunity and privilege of the means of grace that comes through the Lord's table. I pray that you would bless your people today. We know that there's two plus million people around us, many of whom we work with and go to school with that don't know anything about this amazing grace. And so, Father, would you bless us? Bless us like an army of grace givers. And even the people that are in our lives that cause us the most frustration increase our ability to give the most grace as you've given to us. So, Father, bless us as we go with your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Yeah.